What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. Um, apologies for my voice. Uh, I caught a cold over the weekend at the Future and Fire Conference, so apologies. Anyways, today's episode is going to be brought to you by Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. And it's also built for the boots on the ground. Why do I say this? Well, because back in the day, Dana Gleason, he went down to uh, SoCal, tied in with a South Ops shot crew, and they decided that they were going to change the game of how we go to work every day by building some of the finest damn packs ever. And they could have done it without the input of the actual boots on the ground. And they continue to do so and maintain that tradition to this very day. Take, for example, the Big Ernie pack, the new one. Now that's specifically designed for, you know, your aerial delivered firefighters. So whether you're a repeller, hell attacker, smoke jumper, this pack's for you. And it's coming directly from input from you folks in the field. That's how it was designed. Same thing with the Shift FC. Now, the Shift FC, that's going to be for those fire operators that are uh, not carrying uh, fire shelters so much. So you SAR, SAR, REMS teams, stuff like that. But they took all this information from you folks in the field and what they needed, and they built something around that. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. They continue to do so and continue to work with all the boots on the ground. Why? Because they give a shit. They care about you guys. And the proof is in the pudding, especially if you go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out the Backbone series. Yeah, they're giving back to the community a huge way, especially those folks that uh, want to contribute to the story writing process and the preservation of the legacy of the fire program in, <clears throat> in the United States here. And uh, yeah, you have an opportunity to win one of those $1,000 uh, scholarships from Mystery Ranch just by submitting a story. It's pretty awesome. So go over to www.mysteryranch.com, check it out. And while you're at it, if you want to support the uh, Backbone Series program, check out the uh, three-way briefcase and the Assault 21. And just a little uh, heads up, they might be coming out with some new uh, specific packs for supporting that Backbone Series scholarship fund. So go over there, over there to www.mysteryranch.com and check it out. The Anchor Point Podcast is also going to be brought to you by our premier coffee sponsor, and that's going to be none other than Hotshot Brewery. It's kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause, and a portion of the proceeds will always go back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. So if you're looking for not just kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause, but you're looking for some apparel or some of the tools of the trade to get your morning started off right, well, go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com where you can find a full line of tools of the trade to get your morning started off right, and a full line of wildland firefighter themed apparel, posters, uh, skateboards, hats, stickers, all that stuff. And in addition to that, you get some kick-ass coffee. Also, uh, while you're over there, they have a little subsection on their website for some Anchor Point merch. They are uh, supporting the show by slinging some of our merch. So if you're looking for one of those uh, do-rad stuff posters or one of the Band of Brothers tees or one of the uh, uh, Fire Fiend tees, sorry guys, <laughs> Go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check it out. Now, the Anchor Point Podcast would also like to give a quick little shout out to our buddies over at the Ass Movement, and that stands for the Anti-Surface Shitting Movement. My buddy Boo's over there. He's the brains behind the operation, and he's created a uh, educational and uh, stewardship program to help uh, inform people that it's not okay to take a service shit. Yeah, it's gross. It's disgusting. So the poo bearing uh, propaganda that they provide everybody, I think it's a good learning tool, especially if you need to uh, <laughs> motivate somebody to do the number two in the woods properly. It's nothing more than I hate than coming across a trail and having a gift wrapped human turd in toilet paper strewn about the, uh, the trail. It's disgusting and it needs to stop. So you can do your part and spread some of that poo bearing propaganda across the United States by going over to www 
thefirewild.com and checking out the ass movement. And check this out. Listeners to this uh, podcast can get 10% off their entire order by entering the code anchorpointass10 at checkout. So once again, go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement. And last but not least, we'd like to give a quick little shout out to not necessarily a sponsor, but somebody who I believe in and an organization and what they're doing. And it's going to be none other than the American Wildfire Experience or the AWE for short. Now, what their mission is all about is one, giving back to the community. They are the ones that house the Smoky Generation Grant Program and that storytelling platform. But also they are preserving the legacy of firefighters, wildland firefighters from across the globe. And they're doing a kick ass job at it. So if you want to go over to the AWE to check it out, the American wildfire to check it out. And yeah, the name kind of is alluding, but it is not just relegated to the United States. But if you go over to www.wildfireexperience.org, you can see hundreds of these stories from firefighters across the globe and all of your smoky generation grant recipients and a bunch of tools that you could look at and learn from from firsthand accounts of wildland firefighters, not only in the United States, but like I said, again, across the world. It is an awesome project and I have the utmost respect for what Bethany has done for the community over there. And she continues to expand and do more every day. It's awesome. Can't wait to see where it goes from here. Bethany, you have a kick-ass organization over there. Keep it up. views and opinions of this podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency. going on ladies and gentlemen hope everybody's doing well uh sorry if my voice sounds all kind of weird and scratchy but uh apparently i decided to catch a cold over uh, my travels this weekend down to the future and fire conference in san bernardino pretty neat some uh interesting tools that are coming out from the private sector and within the agencies so i'll uh i guess i can expand on that a little bit later when i don't feel like crap anyways hope everybody's doing well uh looks like the season's kind of winding down and yeah keep your heads on a swivel and uh have a plan for that off season so today today on the show we are going to talk all about wildland firefighting culture and its effect on decision making on us being high performers the expectations and norms of our culture and how it affects the whole operation yeah it's pretty interesting. And there's a couple individuals out there that are working on this deep dive project, the deep dive thought exchange project for the United States Forest Service. And it is pretty ambitious, but it's taking all of those little things that we perceive in the field, whether uh, that be regionally, uh, intercrew, agency wide, and kind of dissecting them into really getting down to what our culture is all about and why it drives us and influences us to make the decisions that we make on the fire line. So yeah, with that being said, let's take a little bit of a deeper dive into the deep dive project with the Forest Service. And I'd like to introduce my two good friends, Jody John 
lead researcher on this project and she's out of the University of Colorado. And we've got my good friend, Matt Carroll. He's with the Office of Innovation and Organizational Learning. And I always mess up his actual title, but yeah, you'll get the gist of it when he introduces himself. So welcome to the Anchor Point. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Today on the show, I've got Jody John, researcher from University of Colorado, and Matt Carroll, liaison. Uh, no, not liaison, Office of Learning. Office of Learning. Yeah, it's close. <laughs> Office of Learning Ambassador. Yeah, I'm an organizational learning ambassador for the Office of Innovation Organizational Learning for the Rocky Mountain Research Station. With the U.S. Forest Service. That is a very long title. It yeah. sounds very important and it is very important. We're going to talk about that today. Yeah. I'm not sure. it It's longer than it needs to be. <laughs> well, I mean, you're working on a ton of other stuff besides the deep dive into fire culture as well. Right. Right. So let's get into it. Matt. Right. Ahead. I'll start. Uh, and then Jody, you can introduce yourself. Uh, uh, again, my name is Matthew Carroll. I, I work for IOL that whole long bit. Um, <laughs> Uh, my the history I have in fire is, uh, started in, in 2000, uh, with, uh, Baker river hotshots. And then, uh, in 2003 rookied at McCall, uh, spent uh, 11 years there in McCall, uh, and then moved, uh, in a detail first and then for a full-time job, uh, to the office of innovation, organizational learning, doing learning reviews and FLAs. Spent a little bit of time uh, as uh, an AFMO, zone AFMO for the North Country Interagency Fire Program, which is all of the fish and wildlife and park service from uh, Connecticut all the way through the Canadian border on the East Coast there. Uh, three years doing that and then went back to Office of Learning. And that's where I am now. Wow. So you, you just mentioned that you're working on F, uh, FLAs, the facilitated learning analysis. Now that's gotta be a pretty heavy job title because usually you're dealing with some pretty heavy stuff within our organization. Really heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Fatalities, uh, incidents, IWIs, all that stuff. Yeah. FLAs and, and learning. So FLAs are for unintended outcomes. It could be anything from a backing accident to a pretty serious injury. Uh, but d- not a not a serious accident. So the Forest Service uses that to to say uh, a serious accident is is anything where there is uh, three or more hospitalizations or a fatality, uh, or as the chief uh, designates or the uh, DASHO designates. So um, we work on both of those, and the learning review is the response, the Forest Service response to uh, a serious accident. But we can do FLAs on everything from a lost computer to a uh, to to a tree strike that doesn't amount to a serious accident. So I've uh, been doing that for uh, a lot of years. It's really interesting and and really quite. Uh, yeah, it's heavy at times for sure. I could imagine, man. Yeah. But it's, it's also it's like one of those necessary heavy uh, things that we have to deal with, because how else are we going to learn from these these things that happen other than that? I mean, that's going to be the primary thing, right? Right. Yeah. And the hope is that uh, what keeps me at it is w- one, it's interesting. And two, um, hopefully it matters. Hopefully we are learning and, you know, working with Wildland Fire Lessons Learn Center and all those uh, groups, 
both at the you know unit level and beyond, we're really hoping to to to, to understand one understand what learning means. What what does it mean to change a behavior? What does it mean to learn? And then two, how do we do it better? How how do we get better at learning? How do we how do we do that? And so it's super interesting, but yeah, heavy. Nice. And Jody. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having us on. Uh, I'm Jody John. I'm a, a social scientist at University of Colorado Boulder. I have um, most of my research background is related to fire. So I did fire for eight years, a couple seasons in region one, and then about six seasons in region four, uh, mostly on the Payette Price Valley Repel crew spent there, uh, spent a couple seasons there. Um, and then left fire, went into academia, did master's PhD and postdoc at uh, UC Santa Barbara, and then um, moved on to my faculty position here at uh, Colorado Boulder. Been here for 10 years now. So, um, nice. yeah. So in my research, I've looked at uh, all kinds of things related to fire, basically. So, um, on, you know, one prong of it is looking at, uh, crew culture. So, uh, looking at how crews kind of set the tone for what their values are and how those values translate into uh, practices. Um, but I'm also really interested in the technical documentation cycle. So how organizations, particularly the forest service learn from accidents and other unintended outcomes. So, uh, part of that, uh, that kind of ties into what Matt was talking about with, uh, uh, FLAs and, and the learning reviews and everything is, um, we know that our safety rules are 10 and 18 are written in blood, but as soon as you write them down, you codify them, all that blood gets washed off. And so mm. what, well, yeah. Right. Oh, I didn't even think wow, about that it that was, way. Yeah. That was heavy. Right. Yeah. It kind of, it gets, it gets washed off and, and we kind of, we look at these 10 and 18, they seem like common sense. Uh, but there's still this component of that embodied learning where you have to go through the, those, um, you know, Oh crap moments where you are learning oh, okay, this is why, you know, we do things this way, or this is, this would be a better way to, to think about an escape route or safety zone or, or that sort of thing. And then, and then you look at, you know, how, how do organizations or how does the forest service apply, um, the, the, the rules and all of that in the process of like an investigation. So, uh, in, in typical industries other than fire and prior to South Canyon, uh, the, the way of looking at rules and the 10 and 18, I just call them rules, but, um, the, the typical way of looking at that was to think of safety rules from a kind of compliance violation sort of standpoint, more like an OSHA kind of, kind of an guideline. OSHA guideline. Exactly. Yeah. And so then when it comes to, you know, an accident or a fatality happens, then what happens is the, the organization comes in and, and they, they say, okay, what were the rules? And what were the decisions in this uh, event? And then they look for the places where uh, people, quote unquote, broke rules. And then that gives you your root cause. Um, but then after South Canyon, a, a lot of us know that uh, all of that changed with um, with like the FLA process and all of that. And so now it's really a, a, a switch in philosophy to be like, OK, instead of asking what went wrong, we're asking why did these decisions make sense at the time? And you just get a very different type of report and learning outcome because you can actually dig into uh, the elements of culture that uh, that are uh, giving people their 
their logic for action, basically. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's the whole South Canyon fire, the, the tragedy of South Canyon fire um, that was like really like the turning point of how we approach a lot of things in fire. And now it's your two jobs to come together and you're like the match made in heaven, obviously, for what you're doing next. And it's taking those culture elements and basically putting context to them and understanding why we're in the place that we are with this project you guys are working on the deep dive into wildland fire culture. Right. So let's talk about that. Like, where do we go from here? You guys have been doing this for what a year now? No, well, we've been almost a year. No, more than that. We've been, we started the project probably two years ago, but mostly uh, starting the project with leadership to Mm -hmm. say, Hey, we're going to be doing this thing. We're going to surface a lot of complex and probably uncomfortable things. And we need you to be okay without, we don't need you to react right away. We need you to sit with this and take the journey with us. So we spent a lot of time doing that. So not bottom up, but top down. Top down in support, Mm -hmm. bottom up in understanding. So that's a weird way to look at it. What what inspired you to look at it from that direction? Like, cause usually it's, there's a, we have a very rigid hierarchy, right? Right. Chain of command. It's always you know, top down. So there's a couple of different answers to that. The first one is, uh, I I can start with a a story of mine where I found out what culture was all of a sudden. So I showed up in fire, uh, well, two stories. I'll I'll use the two stories. So I, I started fire in 2000 kid from New Jersey, didn't know anything about fire. I had biked cross country the year before and saw a bunch of people in yellows and greens in John Day, Oregon. And I thought they're prison crew. Uh, but then someone told me, no, they're not prisoners. They're wildland firefighters. And I was like, oh, what's that? And they told me, oh, you travel the country and you get to use chainsaws and play with fire and you don't have to take, take showers. So I was like, that sounds Sign like a job up. for that. That <laughs> sounds amazing. Well, I'm going to do that. So that next year, uh, I came back out West, uh, thought I was going to get on zigzag, was living in govern- government camp out of my van, and then uh, found out I got on Baker River, which is where I started. And uh, uh, so I rode my, my bike from government camp all the way up to Baker River. Now, the Baker River guard station is 13 miles off of the next main road, and it's a dead end. So I ride my bike. I'm about a week early because I didn't know how long it was going to take me. And I show up and uh, there's a bunch of guys in cut off Carhartts and cut off Hickory shirts, like steaming because they're in this, you know, they called it the RNT, the radio and telephone room. Uh, it's got a wood stove and they've just been out all day cutting and everyone is sort of smoking in the, in the, because they got the fire roaring. And I show up with a bike with panniers, little bags on the bike, uh, and spandex. And I'm 13 <laughs> miles up this dead end road. And they look at me, I come in and they look at me and they say, well, I don't know where you're headed, but you're lost because this doesn't go anywhere and you're not going anywhere. You know, you're lost. And I said, much to the contrary, I'm working here. And the, <laughs> the shock on their face and the, 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 like, where the hell is this crew going? Kind of look. Um, it was palpable. Uh, and three of those people didn't show up for the crew the next week. 
I, I think they probably already had other jobs. It was, but it was definitely your fault. It's yeah, definitely, 100% your fault. Definitely <laughs> the guy from New Jersey showing up in spandex. Um, so uh, I knew I knew I had some work to do. I knew when I showed up, I would be the guy from the East Coast who showed up in spandex. So I had some work to do to fit in. So I went out once I got on the crew. I, the first move I made that first weekend was to to go and uh, buy a shirt that said Earth First. We'll log the other planets later and then, uh, <laughs> buy a hickory shirt and some car. I'm sure that would won, won you some favors with that yeah. shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so then the, the so that was sort of a little introduction, just a little nugget. And then the, the, the when I got my job smoke jumping, uh, I spent 12 years. So, well, no, not uh, about 10 years. Sorry. Uh, as a smoke jumper and did really well in 2012. I got the smoke jumper of the year award. Ooh, oh, nice. Look at that. Yeah. I have a nice little pint glass to show for it. <laughs> so I was feeling pretty good, you know? Yeah. And then the next year I got promoted to a spotter. Uh, and I, I, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't good at, at being a spotter. Uh, it seems super easy. You know, the spotter is the one who hangs their head out the plane and throws the, the cray paper down to figure out what the wind's doing and then to make sure they know where to kick the jumpers out. And I thought it was easy. You just throw paper down, it lands in the spot and then you say, get ready and slap them on the back. They go out the door. Yeah. That doesn't seem easy at all. It it, it appeared easy. (laughs) But when you're back there doing it, like the planes flying in circles and you're having to talk a pilot in, they can't see you. You have to tell them where to go. Yeah. And as soon as you look anywhere else, you lose the streamers that, you know, you're trying to look for them where they're landing. And so the pilot's like, well, where are the streamers land? Well, they're up by that tree. (laughs) We're in a forest. Could you be a little more, a little more uh, clear about where the tall one. Yeah. (laughs) And they would say on the North end of the spot. I was like, we've been flying circles. I have no idea what's North here, you know, like, and so I went from the, smoke jumper of the year to the, the worst spotter, they, you know, worst spotter of the year award, uh, the very next year. So I went from sort of being in the center of that culture to in a year sort of being on the edge. And I remember coming in one day after having a, 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 an extra lesson for me on spotting before morning briefing, I showed up standing on the side of the wall there. And I realized that I, that this organization that I, that had felt very linear to me, all of a sudden I was at a different place in the landscape of that culture. Yeah. And it was this watershed moment for me, like, whoa, this isn't the same place I was before. And I had reservations about saying stuff that I would have said before. I, I had a little more of a hurdle to overcome in order to provide my voice. Hmm. So those are those two things um, really helped me kind of key into this, like, man, there's something here. We say a lot about every voice matters, but there's hurdles. And so that was sort of one of the things that got me going on that. Nice. And yeah, it's a, it's one of those things where we were having a little bit of an offline discussion uh, about like either a being humbled with something that you occur, like you experienced. I know uh, I can't really think of any other firefighter out there who hasn't have that, had that humbling experience. Um, but even like going from one region to another or, you know, those, those cultural things, like the, the little things that prevent you from speaking up, especially when there's something that 
we always preach like the, you see something, say something. Yeah. <laughs> you get put in these situations where maybe you're not like the, the shining star of the crew anymore. Or if you're the FNG, so to speak, that you're going to be a little bit more reluctant to actually bring those topics up. And that's what the whole purpose of deep dive is. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. It's to, it's to uncover those hurdles. So when I went from having very little hurdle, mm-hmm. when I was the smoke jumper who got the award and was at the top of the world, I didn't have to worry about it. Didn't never even thought about it. And as soon as I was on the outside of that, kind of looking in, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I, you know, that same edict, if you see something, say something, all of a sudden I was like, Ooh, that hurdle's a bit different for me now. Yeah. And it might be self-imposed, but it also might be the culture too. I remember looking across the room and seeing someone else who I, I'd always felt never really fit in. And I swear I got one of those glances like, Hey, welcome friend. Hi. <laughs> it's lonely at you the see, top, isn't you it? See it? You see this now too. Great. Oh, welcome, man. you know, welcome to this other place that I had no idea existed before. Yeah. 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 No, I think that's interesting. And, and just as kind of a, a another perspective on on arriving in fire, I, I grew up in the Forest Service. My dad was a lifelong Forest Service employee, and so you're generational. I'm generational. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, my, he was a district ranger, moved up to the supervisor's office. Um, you know, we moved around Idaho to the to the different places. You know, that's how you move up as you move. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was very indoctrinated into the culture. So moving into fire was a really uh, natural move for me. But I think. Um, from, you know, relating it to the deep dive, one of the things that one of the challenges I felt was when I first took L380, um, I just remember having this realization that even though I took a lot from that class, it was a really eye opening class for me. I still felt like I didn't really see many of those leadership styles that we were learning really being a natural fit for how I kind of show up. Mm -hmm. And so I really internalized that a lot and put a lot of thought into what would it take to really be one of these exemplary leaders and uh, never figured it out. But I've been, (laughs) I've been thinking about it a lot in my academic work. You know, how do you, how do you gain that credibility or foster that credibility quickly as a leader? And how do you um, voice concerns? How do you how do you just engage in voice in a way uh, that you feel really confident about? You know. Yeah. Here's a question for you. You mentioned that your father was a force supervisor. Now, oh, well, he worked in the SO. Okay, the yeah. SO. But I'm sure you're very very familiar with the fact that fire is very small. It's a very small world, right? Like maybe two degrees of separation. Did that uh, position that your father held? Did he, did that kind of influence people's perceptions of you when you were in fire? Well, not really because I worked, I just worked in different places. Um, gotcha. Well, my dad had worked on the McCall district, for example, on the payette for, for several years um, when I was really young. Uh, and that was one place that I spent a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So by the time I got there, I knew a lot of people that I'd known when I was really little growing up yeah. were in the forest service, but um, but it, I, I didn't, yeah, I mean, I guess actually now, now that I'm talking about it, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think people did kind of know the name, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, I kind of just felt like 
it felt very family like, you know. So it wasn't a big deal. I don't think it was a big deal. It didn't feel like a big deal to me. Yeah. The reason why I'm asking is because it reminds me of a, a person that I went through academy with and their father is like a chief down in Southern California. Right. And the reputation of him is widely known, right? I'm not going to drop any names or anything like that, but now <laughs> that he, the junior, the son is in fire as well. The expectations of him, he talked to me about this and like the expectations of him and his performance are much greater and you can't escape your father's legacy, if you will. And he was telling me about that. And that's like one of those things that's kind of like the most culture related things uh, that we're yeah. talking about earlier. Well, actually, you know, that's so funny. That brings to mind. I did get um, there's this kind of there's a there's a long time. I, again, I won't name any names. But there's this long time uh, like legend of a Forest Service employee that my dad worked with for a number of years. And uh, and I remember he pulled me aside one day when I went into fire and he goes, you know what? Uh, have a lot of fun, but watch your reputation. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> interesting hmm. advice. Why would you say that? Why would you say that? <laughs> what, Just curiosity. I, yeah. What I found was really interesting about what you said with L380 was how you would naturally lead, how you would naturally show up was different than what was being taught. Right. Yeah. And so where all I had to do was fit into Baker River was change my shirt, take off the Nomax, lose the bike. Right. As soon as I showed up, all the jokes made sense. All the, the things that I thought were funny, all the movie references I was using, how I thought how to lead is how people were leading. Mm -hmm. And so I naturally just fit into it. So it's like a fish swimming in water doesn't know it's in water, right? Yeah. You just don't see it. Whereas Jody, you coming in and your natural way of being, your natural way of leading is slightly different than what's being delivered. And so you automatically kind of see a separation and you have to act in order to fit into that, how we do things around here. Yeah. And that perspective is so valuable yet so hard to hear. Yeah. How do you put words behind that? How do you put descriptive context behind that feeling? Right. Right. And, yeah. and only recently have I actually been looking into this a little more concretely. And one of the things I found, and this was, this was pertaining to the corporate world, but I think in, in fire and other more, you know, um, manly type occupations, if you will, you might see more of it. But what I was reading was that about 70% of middle manager leaders in the corporate world are uh, alpha males. And so what you see is like an alpha male, it is not everybody's an alpha male. And even if people kind of show up that way, maybe they didn't choose it. I mean, there are a lot of caveats there, but, um, but the, what I was reading was that most leadership training is geared toward alpha males, which means that it's solving for some very specific problems. So, um, mainly like relational things. So showing empathy, uh, being, that's why you see this like servant leadership being pushed in some of these leadership classes, because mm -hmm. it's like, how do you, you know, how do you support the people that work for you? So they want to stay with that company essentially. Um, but then it, it, when I read that, it made a lot of sense. Cause I was thinking, Oh, okay. Yeah. So basically I kind of felt like I didn't need to solve for those specific problems in my leadership, but there were other ones that just weren't even talked about. And I didn't even have the language and I, I still probably don't have the language to fully articulate what those would be. 
You know, it's, it's the, the leadership thing too, is like bringing it back to bringing it back to L380. It's like, we have these like very cut and dry definitions and descriptions of what type of leader we are, or you are, or they are whoever, right? It's not a one size fits all solution. It's more of like a spectrum because one leadership style might not be appropriate for a situation. Right. And I think right. they don't really expound on that idea that it's a spectrum and it, it gravitates whatever way it needs to for that situation. If it's like, once you get I guess stuck in that, that thought process of, no, this is what kind of leader I am. You kind of just adhere to it blindly almost. So, I mean, do you think like the way we're teaching it, like you brushed on this a little bit, the way that we're teaching these concepts is might be maybe like the wrong approach. I, I don't want to get to right or wrong. Okay. I think, I think the approach, um, accounts for a lot of success, but also the, the way we teach people how to lead may have some externalities may have some things that that we try to push off to the side unintended outcomes mm-hmm. that we 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 try to shift off our accounting sheet because the most of it is is helping us do what we want to do so the uh you either shut up you know we talked about this earlier too uh the 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 ter- more traditional all I want to see is asses and elbows. All I want to, you just, you're not here to give your opinion. You're here to work, yeah. right? That sort of, uh, quote unquote old school, right? Yeah. Hey, Worky, Soupy wants Jerry or hey, Soupy wants QB, you know? Yes. Get it up the hill. Right. All the way. And, and, and that's different than what we've taught in L380, but there's still a very militaristic, still a very shame oriented. I am not meeting up. I am not meeting the, how do I become a better hotshot? You just do better. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot baked into that style of leadership that, that if we were able to reflect on it and have the language and, 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 frameworks to pick it apart in a way that we're not throwing, we're not calling it all bad, Mm -hmm. but we're saying, Hey, this part really works for getting stuff done. And this part really demoralizes people and uses shame in order to motivate. There was a great Grangeville rookie shirt that said powered by shame. And I, I, I've always (laughs) wanted to find the actual shirt. I have a picture of it, but, um, but how true. I love that shirt because how true when I was a rookie myself in the jump program and when I was doing rookie training, I was the the disappointed trainer. Mm-hmm. I wasn't the angry one. I was the disappointed trainer who was just like, I just, I just wish you would do better, you know? And, and so that is entirely using shame to get more performance out of people. Yeah. And boy, howdy, does it work? But it's an excellent motivator. But what are the what are the unintended outcomes? Yeah. What are we saddling people with that they have to go deal with in the off season if they don't make it right? And that's the sort of stuff where I'm not calling it all bad, not calling it all good. I think that binary way of thinking about is harmful, but we have to understand culture in a way and how it influences how we make decisions and how we lead. That's what this deep dive project is about, is trying to understand that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just like you were saying, too, is like this alpha male uh, corporate kind of leadership thing that you're like leadership training and values that you're dealing with that you're uh, relating to or not relating to, but talking about there. Um, That doesn't apply to what you were saying is we have a very much so 
paramilitary organization. But at the end of the day, no matter how you cut it, we are a paramilitary organization. But how do we get the best of both worlds integrated to where we can communicate and learn from each other, understand each other, and also be more safe and resilient, right? Yeah. It's like this perfect intersection of that. Yeah, I think so. And and I mean, L380 was a powerful class. I've it was hugely powerful. It was shout out to MCS. Yeah. I mean I, I mean it I agree. I think it set the tone for from whatever 2000, 2003 or whatever. I don't yeah. remember when they started. It it's it 2003, a, yeah. It set a generation. It really it really was leadership style. For was sure. revolutionary for for the Forest Service, I think. But I but I agree. I think we have to look at what, what are our leadership classes solving for exactly? What are the deficiencies they're solving for? Who tends to have those deficiencies or Mm -hmm. not necessarily deficiencies, but places where people need to develop more. And could we, do we need to widen that out to, uh, to account for a more diverse workforce? And there's another topic of concern too, because when people say or talk about diversity, right? we get a lot of pushback instantaneously. It's like, Oh, here we go with some woke BS again. Right. Yes. That's nine times out of 10. That's going to be the reaction. And we're being paramilitary being male dominated. It's hard because we're going to get a lot of rejection from these concepts. And that's not the point that you guys are trying to make. Right. This is like, no, this is how we become better as an organization. This isn't some woke agenda. Right. How do we learn? How do we make it better, safer, faster, stronger, whatever. Right. right. For everybody. Carte right. blanche. Right. And, and what's interesting about what you, one of our most recent questions, one of the first responses to the, the, the question was, uh, I, I don't know it verbatim in my head, but, um, in your desired future state, um, what would, uh, a high performing and inclusive workplace look like? Uh, and one of the first responses was, uh, get off this woke agenda. It's we're just trying to bring firefighters on here and dealing with all this woke stuff isn't helping. Yeah. Especially when we're having dwindling numbers and it's real, real hard to recruit. Right. Right. And so there is, and I don't believe it's my job to pass judgment on, on that. Our job as researchers is try to understand where that fits because we pull our people from big C culture. That's, you know, America, the world, et cetera, where we are. And there's pendulums swinging back and forth, uh, you know, woke, non-woke, all these social things. And no one's really in control of where they're going to land up, land or end up. And there's a lot of fear and around, like, I don't have control over how woke, woke's going to get. And I feel like there's some really unhelpful things that are going to come out of that. So uh, how we understand that and, and, and are able to talk about it, that's the benefit. It's not saying that woke or not woke is, is the right way to go. That's that binary way again is harmful. What we're trying to do is, is really have an open conversation about the culture, provide the tools so we can and bring people's voices in the room in a way that makes sense. Yeah. And I think, I think that comment about pushing the woke agenda really speaks to some of the serious hiring constraints there are. I mean, on one of the, one of the questions we were just analyzing around um, diversity came up with 
three different definitions of it. Uh, one was, um, the, that local hiring needs to reflect the diversity of the U S as a whole. Another definition was, uh, local hiring needs to reflect the, uh, diversity or demographics of the, of the region and then, or the geographic region, not necessarily the forest service region. Um, and then another one was diversity being diversity of thought. And I think where you see a lot of the tension is the fact that the forest service, particularly fire operates in rural, very white communities. And so there are constraints to hiring and this, this can result in, um, in people really feeling like their hands are tied in terms of the staffing decisions they make. And again, not, not trying to decide what's right. Right. But we need the ways to talk about it so that we can break out of the woke, not woke or, or merit versus uh, diversity higher that those binaries so that we can bring out the complexity of it. And that's a hard part. Cause it's like, we were talking earlier offline, um, the complexity and the nuance with every region, every station, every module, I mean, from macro big C culture, right. All the way down to micro. It's like, it's almost like microclimates, man. Like, you got the East, the Eastern Sierras over here. They're going to have a different microclimate than the Plumas at wherever you're at over there. You know, it's, it's I, I, a lot. I envision as a lava lamp, right? Where, and so all of the stuff that you described and it's changing all the time. Yep. Right. 100%. As new people come in, the big C culture is changing. So all of this is sort of lava lamping around big blobs are forming and then flipping off, you know, and so that the complexity you can't understate okay. and it's always changing where the, uh, um, the, the, the way that we're trying to get at it with this deep dive project, uh, it came out of research from a researcher from British Columbia that we started working with here on this project that gave us this s- sort of solid strategic foundation. Um, they use this program called thought exchange. Uh, that we're using for this project. It asks open-ended questions like this most recent question before the one that we're asking now, um, talking about diversity. Diversity has been identified as a goal to strive for for in wildland fire culture. If you think it's working well, tell us why. If you think it's not working well, tell us why not. So open-ended question, and we get a whole bunch of responses. People provide their thought. To that response. The next part of that is they get to rate, they get to see and rate everyone else's response. You can go scroll through and give one to five stars. So on the research side, we get instead of do you strongly agree or disagree with some statement that someone thought of and provided, we get the we get people's perception of our question in their own words. And then we get the community how the community responded to that to like kind of say what is the most this beneficial on your end as a researcher because yeah. this is going to be like what the culture really wants to see right so you right. can extrapolate that data or what it resonates with or doesn't resonate yeah yeah, yeah and I, that's funny i hadn't really thought of it as as people pr- are providing items to a survey and everybody gets to rate them <laughs> by the way this is anonymous and you're not going to see like joe whoever yeah. no. you know yeah so you yeah. don't it is confidential your shot your your thoughts are shared your identity is not yeah and you're we're not even asking for personally identifiable information so it's it 
we are just opening the door. We want people's thoughts. Um, and I was going to say something else. I kind of forgot what it was though. Well, and the other thing that, well, go ahead. Oh, so yeah. So I just, I better say it. (laughs) I'm the worst ADHD too. So (laughs) I better say it before it disappears. Um, no. So the cool thing about the, the thought exchange is that we, we get, so you'll get common responses. So you might, you might see a bunch of, uh, responses that are pretty similar. So you get an idea of what is common for kind people, of like a data cluster, kind of a data cluster. But then the cool thing about this rating feature is that you might get, you might get some thought that just isn't that common, but is super highly rated. And what that tells us is this, this is something that's floating just below the surface and this person articulated it and it resonates with people. And so that's one of the more valuable aspects of this uh, tool that we don't really have in like a typical survey. You ever get the uh, notion that these responses, some of them, it's like, since it's anonymous and it's basically, you can say whatever you want, carte blanche, no repercussions whatsoever. Right. You ever get at the idea, like, say you're sitting around a briefing and everybody's like, got that, that whole thing about the mission, that whole like ugly dark cloud saying they don't want to say anything that was like, they got a bad feeling yet. No one speaks up, but that one person who does speaks up. That's like the nugget of gold. Yes. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's two elements that I think surface with this is one is what you just said. As mm-hmm. soon as that someone had the the gusto to say it. Right. And, and maybe, uh, in this environment, it isn't, it isn't the gusto so much as it's, they articulate it in just the right way. Mm -hmm. And everyone's like that, what that person said, yes, that the other piece is that, um, the, oh, I'm going to lose it now. Uh, how you articulate it. And then What was the other part? <laughs> the so the rating. It's not that common. <laughs> oh, right. Uh, uh, it'll come back to me. Yeah. Um, oh, so close. It was right there. <laughs> it's all good. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, do you get a lot of, ex- um, I, I guess one of the other points and that I wanted to make was, um, with these ratings and these question responses, do you get a, a notion that this one person is saying what everybody's thinking just out loud? They're saying the quiet part out loud, if you will. Well, I think everybody has the chance to say the quiet part out loud. I think the the important part about the getting at that culture piece of it is that is that, you know, as we were talking offline before this, we were talking about the the role of assumptions in a culture. We all have them too. We all have them. Yeah. They're, they're kind of instinctual. We don't really put words to those. And so I think that's what some of those highly rated thoughts are. They're just, somebody was able to put words to some kind of assumption that is so deep inside of us and so instinctual and so natural that we don't even think about putting words to it. And so then when you see that thought, you're like, oh yeah, that's it right there. Mm-hmm. So I'll give that five stars. The, and the other piece that I was thinking finally came back to me was we're able to have this conversation and it can get uncomfortable. And the first couple of questions, people, you're able to uh, flag a thought if you think that it's hurtful uh, or dangerous or, or, or call someone out by name. And yeah. there's AI software that if there's names, it pulls it out anyway. But um people were pulling thoughts out that were uncomfortable and we had to put an additional statement in there. that says, no, this is the place for uncomfortable thoughts to yeah. be as Good, long bag, as ugly, the, indifferent, right. As let long it, as there's, go. as long as they are, there is value for learning. We're going to tolerate more uncomfortable thoughts. 
right? And and it can be on either end of or or side of a spectrum. Um, but that that's super important because I'd rather have it in this form than people are less likely to do so if I have to work with that person all the time. Yeah. Right. So I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna bring that thought out in a group where there's tense social dynamics or I have to work with the people further. I, we can have this sort of out here and and sort of bat around these 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 ideas out here. I think that's another important I guess uh part of your program, right? That's that's another successful tool because we have to have those uncomfortable conversations. We have to address these uncomfortable things. We have to address the elephant in the room. And if you could do it from a point of anonymity and just let it go, I think you're going to get a lot of value out of that because we've been trained and it's been ingrained. I'm not going to use the word culture, but in our training for wildland fire, don't rock the boat, right? We can't have those things. It's the conformity. I guess the conformity of your crew or I'm going to, I'm trying to really shy away from the word culture here because yeah, we're going to yeah. throw it down like a million times, but the conformity culture that we have in wildland fire from it being a paramilitary organization that is male dominant, we don't, why we don't like to rock the boat. We don't. Right. And, and how do you though? This. Yes. Yes. We can rock the boat by, uh, calling it out that it's not simple, that it's not one way or the other, mm -hmm. calling it out that it's, that there's a diversity of thought out there that, that, that addressing this isn't going to be throwing the whole thing out and starting new or doing nothing. It's mm -hmm. going to be some form of in between where we figure out the stuff that's really working and then really reflect hard on the stuff that isn't. Yeah. And that's hard. And it requires, we don't have the tools yet to do it. I don't think, you know, we need, we need to figure out a whole new language and, and, and to, to try and grasp at this. Cause you hear people trying to, and, and, and it's like before we had LCES or before we had mental slides or, or, or essay, I can say, Hey, you know, I'm just showing up to the fire. My essay is pretty low right now. Yeah. That just shortcutted 20 minutes of a conversation of me saying, Hey, I just showed up. I don't know everything, but maybe I could go over here. We can now shortcut that conversation say, I just need to build the essay. Give me 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have the same thing for all this social stuff and the cultural stuff that's going on. Yeah. Part of the answer is just building our understanding and getting more comfortable talking about that stuff. Just basically asking the questions. Right. Yeah. Here's a, here's the thing for you. It kind of just popped in my head. Um, so we're the forest service and the Bureau of Land Management, all the, all the alphabet soup agencies that are in fire right now that we're so acquainted with, they have this big push for diversity and inclusion. But what does that really mean? Is that like just some policy? Like the, I guess the intersection of what that truly means versus the policy that are already written. Like what, what does that mean? Did they just say, Oh yeah, this is what the definition of inclusivity and, uh, inclusivity and culture is like, what does that even mean? Cause it's so broad. It's so broad. It is. So the, the, there's a couple of ways to look at it. So a lot of times when people say we want diversity, what does that even mean? Well, the, <laughs> I get just you. a second. I will explain it to you. It's like the question I would wanted to ask you the entire time you were here, but I saved it. You have no idea how hard that was. 
So diversity, people, it's the first thing that people say, but it's ultimately not a goal. It's should be an outcome of the other stuff. So if you think it, and it's not the only way to think about it, but if you think about it like this, equity is if we were to take a blindfold, both figuratively and actually uh, orchestras, they used to have, you know, a new cellist would show up and they would have the cellist play for a panel and they would say, oh, great. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then uh, they found out that they weren't getting diversity. So they tried uh, a, a different strategy to bring more equity to the hiring process. They put a sheet between the panel and the cellist. They saw their diversity numbers, more women, more people of color show up when they selected the best cellist. Yeah. And it was because their internal biases were influencing how they were hearing those people play. And that's a good, good point, right? Because to say that humans in general don't have any biases or don't apply stereotypes or don't have any preconceived notions to say that we don't have those is complete bullshit. It is. Everybody and judges a book by its cover. Oh Everybody. Man. And, and we would be useless without it. Yeah. Right. It gives it's, you survive. It's, it's a survival mechanism. And, and again, this is like such a great point that if we say it's all bad or all good, we're wrong either way. 100%. If we understand it, like our biases and, and shortcuts are the thing that make us so amazing at what we do that I can come up on a situation and, and say, no, we're not going to have time to hit that ridge. We need to go to the next one. Or we do have time to hit yeah. the ridge or whatever the thing is. It's I've just taken an enormous amount of information and use that to get, make a, a biased sort of shortcut reaction. Yeah. It's also the same thing that that caused those people to hire mostly hire cellists that look like them. Yeah. Right. And they're both sit below the surface and they both influence. So that's equity is is trying to bring that curtain across so that we hire the best people and and uh, help us mitigate some of the biases that we have in specific situations where we know we're not getting the intended outcome that we want. So that's just, that's equity inclusion. So instead of going diversity, equity, inclusion, we're going to go equity, inclusion, diversity. So inclusion is once we bring that hopefully more diverse group together, because we've put equity into our hiring practices, whatever that looks like here. And I don't know what it would, I don't have those answers. Mm -hmm. Inclusion is how do those people feel when they show up? And I think that's the biggest thing there too, is like we were talking about earlier, right? The inclusivity, like we were talking about earlier with like uh, someone from region six going down to region three, the ways of doing business is going to be completely different. Like, I don't know if somebody from R five Southern California came into my neck of the woods and they had some super bro -y attitude and like just, whatever, whatever stereotype you want to apply to that. I'd be like, this guy's never going to fit in. Who the hell is this? And even if you never voice that, it's still under, it's still it's there. Still it's there. still there. Right. I'm just as guilty of it. I've done it. I know you've done it. You've done it. Yeah. And to say you haven't, you're full of shit and you're only lying to yourself. Right. And so how do we bring it up without shame? Again, yeah. powered by shame, right? How do we bring <laughs> it up? How do we just say, oh, there it is. And it's not good or bad. It, it, it helps us in lots of situations, but we actually also it's, it's hindering us too at times. Mm -hmm. And so for us, 
the power of, of the work that we're doing is in understanding and getting more curious and reflecting than it is on making a call one way or the other was good or bad. Yeah. We're not there yet. Right. We're at the, we're at the trying to understand and know that this culture thing exists. We're, we're trying to have that same watershed moment that I had when I saw that guy across the room at the jump base and he was like, Hey, welcome to this side of, of the room. Yeah. Right? You're no longer in the middle. Welcome to the outside. Oh, this is what that feels like. There's a whole landscape here. And I thought everyone stood right in the middle and that wasn't case. People no. are all over the place. Oh. And it, and where you sit within that culture depends on how you show up. So region four, region five, uh, urban, rural, male, female, it all, it all places you somewhere in that. Mm-hmm. And so in our culture, we favor certain ideals. Yeah. Certain masculine, a certain way of being masculine, right? When we, masculine is a huge term. And so it's like an umbrella term. It is just like diversity, inclusion, culture. It's all umbrella terms, right? When we say, when they say toxic masculinity or they're all very big terms, but when we say the hyper masculine fire culture, we're kind of making, we're trying to group that a little bit. Mm -hmm. And what we're saying, again, it's not all good, not all bad, but there's elements of being in that way. So I can show up in a masculine way that isn't that way. Uh, I can show up in, in a leadership style that has other traits that wouldn't be characterized. So we're actually trying to carve out a piece that says this bit, we need to reflect on that bit. But again, not calling good or bad. We're just saying there's some stuff that we we really are. It helps us be really good at our job. And it also is shaming people into suicide, shaming people into mental health crises, et cetera. And it's, and it's not allowing the diversity of thought that we espouse, that we say we want, but it, it's not allowing it. Yeah. And it's doing it all below the radar, it's all below our consciousness. Most of it. Majority of it, at least. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think this project is really getting at what are all the different definitions floating around out there. And once we have a handle on that, then we can start to kind of map that landscape and figure out how we want to move forward. But, you know, if we didn't do this project, we'd have some, we would just be walking around with these umbrella terms in our minds, diversity, equity, inclusion, and not really know how people are, are defining that in various places. And uh, we wouldn't even really be able to talk about it because they're kind of hot button terms as well. So, um, so this, the anonymity of this thought exchange tool is really important for getting that input. Yeah. It's not necessarily that you're trying to define these terms. It's you're trying to understand the perceptions and what causes people to have these perceptions and how it influences their behavior, decision-making, so on and so forth. Exactly. Right. Okay. And that's a key piece of this is when people hear gender diversity, equity, inclusion, all of those things, they think that's what we're after. We're, we're after bringing more diversity, making sure people feel included. Everyone gets a pony and a, and a unicorn, right? Everyone gets a prize kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. What we are after, and this came out of uh, my work doing learning reviews on the Sierra fire when Mikey Hollenbeck was killed. Um, group of people before they had uh, they built a fire line, 70% around this 
little tenth of an acre fire right at the top of Sierra Tahoe Ski Resort. And they had a little bit to finish right at the end. Uh, and it was right under an identified hazard tree, everyone had said. And they had a discussion, but the crew, crew leads were there. And there was a diversity of folks, you know, and remember this landscape of culture. There was people who showed up as women. There was people who showed up as hotshots. There was people who showed up as other sort of spots as they occupied this cultural landscape. Mm-hmm. And what we found was that one, depending on how people showed up, influenced how much of a hurdle they had to overcome personally to say something if they saw something. Yeah. So one of the crew bosses, uh, she, she had had previous experience um, uh, with danger trees and, and, and people she knew had been injured uh, and, and so she had a, a feeling, she said, I don't know about this. And she expressed that feeling. Um, and everyone else, okay, yeah, got that. And then they expressed their, their opinions. And she felt, uh, that she wasn't, she, she felt that, uh, she went with the collective thought, not because they were a bunch of dudes saying that, you know, the, the woman was wrong. Absolutely not. It was a respectful conversation. But it was that self-censoring that yeah. went on. And we all have that. So that's number one. And number two is that our culture naturally goes one way. And that way is doing something rather than not doing something. Yeah. So if we can, all of the stuff that we've been talking about with culture, if we can do nothing more than understand how it's influencing how we manage risk, if we can call above the surface, if we can surface those things that are now sitting below the surface so that we can understand how they're influencing, how we decide at whether to do or not to do. It's like a, a plug. When you pull the plug in a drain, if you do nothing, Northern hemisphere, it's going to go I'm gonna clockwise. One way. What is the Coriolis effect? <laughs> right, that, <laughs> Which way is that? You're going to get so many. Counterclockwise. Counterclockwise. Yes. So, um, but you can disturb the water and then it'll go down the other way or, or at least straight or, but with, if you do nothing, we're going to go, it's going to go one way. Yeah. Same thing with, with our culture influences us in that very subtle way where if we do nothing, it's going to always kind of go that way. And that's what we saw. We saw self-censoring and then we saw that sort of cultural influence just we're going to go that one way do rather than not do. Yeah. So that to me, that ties what we're doing here, talking about culture and diversity and all these things, social stuff to physical safety. That makes sense. I mean, like you were saying too, is like the group think mentality, it could be a good thing. And it's typically what we do because we are expected to respect hierarchy in our organizations. Right. And we're social and we're social, we're social animals. Yeah. It's, it's very much a pack mentality. So there comes in the conformity, the group think, the not wanting to ruffle feathers and rock the boat, right? So that's efficient. It's efficient. It's super efficient. But then again, I mean, we cannot prevent injuries, fatalities, incidents, any of that stuff 100% of the time, all the time. It's just the nature of our job. But how do we do better and understand people's concerns? even if they're the black sheep of the crew or if they're the shining star, it doesn't matter. We need to respect each of these opinions equally. 
And that's the equity part. And how do we, how do we start to give voice to that stuff that sits below the waterline? That's like, eh, I don't like that idea or Mm -hmm. that dude's weird or that dude doesn't. I've been that weird dude. I'm still a weird dude. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't want to point figures, but I was kind of pointing fingers. Um, So, and that's the stuff it's not calling it as good or bad. It's just, what is that? And, and how is it influencing what I'm hearing, what we are hearing as a group and what we aren't, Uh, you know, as the group begins to coalesce around an idea, Yeah, is there something that we could bring out of this that says a word, uh, holes in the Swiss cheese, whatever we've used these models before. Mm -hmm. Is there something that we can call out and say, Hey, are we doing X? Oh, are we doing that? Okay. Yeah. Let's take a step back. Boy, if we could do that, we're improving. We're never, it's never going to be a hundred percent. Oh yeah. But we always have to be improving. I grew up as a Roman Catholic. I was never going to be sinless. That was never the thing, but you always wanted to work. guilt. Right. (laughs) Still living with it. You always want to be working in that direction, right? You don't want to be working. So it's the same thing. We're never going to get to zero. No. Right. But we're, we should be always an impossible goal though. It is. And you always, are we zero? We're zero until we're not. And Mm -hmm. it's sort of a silly thing, but we we should always be working in that direction. Right. And so we've given people hard hats. We've given people fire shelters and boots and gloves. That's the easy stuff. Now it's hard. We have to put so much more effort in order to get that return because the easy stuff's been done. This is, I'm not saying it's easy. It's super hard. It's like squeezing blood out of a rock almost, but also here's a question for the listeners too. If this stuff is like just sounding like a bunch of boring topics, you know, think of how many times you've been the rookie and don't want to say shit during briefing or during your rookie school. You don't want to speak up because you just don't want to be singled out. Conversely of that, think of your first squad boss or your first suit position and the rookie says something, has the courage to say something in front of a bunch of people that are much more experienced than them. How many times have you said, shut the fuck up to him? Right. Or that's a dumb idea. Get back in line. It's, it's a two way street. It is. And this is the reason, these are the things that you guys are getting into. Yeah. Like the whole underlying, ugly, small, indifferent, beautiful truths of humanity. Cause that's what we are. We're just humans with tools fighting fire. That's yeah. all we are at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think the elephant in the room is that it's threatening. You know, it's threatening to be called out about some of this stuff. It's threatened to have your ego damaged. Right. Well, and I would, I would, I would expand that to the culture. Mm -hmm. If you were to say this is, I'm going to already blow this metaphor out of the water. But if the culture were a being, the culture, once the culture is threatened, there is, we have really, really ingrained ways of shoving that away. Yeah. Any of that discomfort. No, no, no. It's a defense we, mechanism. That's great. Yeah. Like we need to actually get work done, right? It's time to do work. You can talk about that in the off season, mm-hmm. right? And we have ways of talking about that. It's you know, like, can I just talk, throw a metaphor in yeah, there? Please. Cause I feel it's like you're, I you're really like, you're like, <laughs> really batting a thousand on the metaphor. So I got it in there. <laughs> I would, it was a solid. It's, it's yeah. like, it's like those little flowers that, or those little sea creatures where you touch them and then they just go back in their little shell. It's, it's like that. Like yeah. an anemone. Yeah. Yeah. An, yeah anemones or an you got anemone. 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 I feel like, what is this? You had anemone. it the first <laughs> 
and, Finding and Nemo so over we, here. <laughs> the culture is, it's very well practiced. It mm. is a really, really, really resilient culture. Oh yeah. But that might not be a good thing. No, some like, of it is though. Right. Some of the resilience is good, but I'm saying that every time it's disturbed, it goes back to normal. Mm-hmm. Great example. Yeah. Yarnell hangover. That term. The Yarnell hangover. Actually, I've never heard that oh. term, but I can immediately so assume what that is. I say, heard it from division more. supervisors after Yarnell happened mm-hmm. who were like, I can't get anyone to commit to do anything. They're, they're pulling the safety card and saying, nope. Hmm. I don't hear the term anymore. So either we've shifted to a more safe place or we're going back to doing the way we normally do business because it's gotten us the rewards that we have and our, our system of of rewards and demerits hasn't changed. Yeah. So we had this extremely traumatic event and extremely should have been ground shift should have been, you know, and, and was at times, I don't want to call it I, one thing. I'll never day. forget the day that that happened and where I was, what fire Absolutely. I was on. Yeah. That's something that will be forever ingrained in us, right? Yeah. It, it is 100%. one of, and, and we had a departure from the norm. That's why I heard this term Yarnell hangover where we, what, what that tells me is that two things, one that we had a departure from what was expected, which is as a division supervisor, I'm going to tell you and your crew to go do something and you're going to do it. And then the other part was that I expected just like a hangover eventually to come back into normalcy. Yeah. So it wasn't a Yarnell shift. It was a Yarnell hangover. It was, it went, it departed from the norm and we know it's going to come back. That's the resilience of our culture and that our culture is so well practiced at that. But conversely to that too, it, it, I think that we tend to be a little bit knee jerk in some of our things, because if, if something happens, it could be as innocuous as like someone messed up their administrative duties as far as like, I don't know, they forgot to do their credit card stuff. Now the hammer comes down, policy changes at either a localized or national level. I mean, look at what happened with the RX program, this whole spring, right? With Hemet's Peak, right? Hemet's Peak and- uh, Hermit's Peak, Hermit's Calf Peak, Canyon. Calf Canyon, right? And I think one other fires a black, I I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Down there in region three, but look at the, the outcome of that, right? Now we had that hangover situation. Now we're just now getting into re-implementing our RX program nationally. Like we're very reactionary, very almost knee jerk reactionary, but it takes time to, I guess, get these bugs out. And I don't know what you guys see in that from the, what your data shows, but I mean, am I on to something here? Or? So where we ran into that, uh, I'll let you answer um, the, the more on the research side, Jody, but where I saw in the leadership side was, mm-hmm. is when we did the first couple of thought exchanges, we did some in smaller group settings in the last winter. And then this early, early spring, when we showed that to leadership, they were like, we have to take action. We have to do something here. This like this thought I, that can't stand. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't believe people are thinking that way. And what we had to, to do was to say, whoa, pump the brakes. You're creating a witch hunt after yeah. culture. The thing that you're trying to understand is so and, counterintuitive. And so it took us helping leaders be comfortable with this discomfort while we really kind of lean into and, and get curious about what culture looks like to the people who are living it. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have the overreaction. 
So we knew it was going to come. Yeah. We led through that, hopefully, uh, and that'll continue. And that's where we hope to go from here. We're doing these questions. We're on question four now, which is asking about your desired future state. Question five, probably the most important question is, what are the action steps we need to take to get to where we want to do this desired future state? So community, wildland fire community, tell us what the action steps we need to take and tell us the ones we shouldn't take. Like what are the ones we definitely shouldn't do? We want to hear that too. We're going to take that, put all of this data in front of some focus groups. uh, And on that deep dive website, there are, uh, there's a link that you can sign up for those focus groups. If you want to take part in those. And then that stuff is going to go before leadership and and it's going to be proposed action steps. So it's going to be from the field. This is what we see. And the hope is that the, the, the work we've done beforehand, we're not going to end up with that overreaction that knee jerk. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing too, because I believe that crowdsourcing from all people, and this is just not, in, this is not inclusive of leadership. IMTs doesn't matter if you're hell attack. It doesn't matter where you are. You could be a GS two to a GS fantastic and you could still have a positive impact and it's crowdsourcing these solutions to these glaring problems that we have the elephants in the room, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what we're seeing in the data are, you know, it's, it's good to kind of pump the brakes and not just try to overhaul everything right away because what we're seeing in the data are just some really enduring ongoing problems. The, the, we hear a lot about a lack of accountability in the, you know, in response to harassment and discrimination type Mm -hmm. of cases or the, um, how, how do people call it? The disciplinary promotion. I think I've right. Seen just that. call it what it is. Fuck up and move up. F- yeah. Fuck up and move up. Fire up. <laughs> yeah. Fire, <laughs> fire up. up. And, yep. and, and so these are some of the problems that probably wouldn't get fixed necessarily. If there was just a blanket, we need to change everything based on this small amount of data that we have from these early trial thought exchanges that we did. And the other thing too, I mean, going off of what you guys were saying, we really we really truly do want to know people's ideas of what could change because people see so many different parts of the system and they might just, it might just be a little tweak, you know, just making an extra phone call during the hiring process or, you know, whatever it might be, uh, or it could be a big blue sky type of change. And we, we want to hear what that is and put that into some context, vet it in the focus groups, talk about, what's going to work, what isn't going to work, what are some unintended consequences here, and then kind of basically lead that change upward uh, to the folks at the top. Yeah. No, it's important because a lot of these glaring issues, like you're saying with like the sexual harassment, the fuck up, move up, all of these problems, I mean, they're, they're finally being talked about, right? It's being addressed. So I think like the will to implement change and address these concerns um, I think it's there, but also policy. We are a government organization. We have to have policy and procedure behind everything that we do to operate. But the good thing is, is that your work here can influence those policy shifts. Right. So, yeah. And, and it just, it, it brings up so many interesting linkages between, you know, when you talk about accountability on one hand, somebody might say, you know, in this agency, people have a really hard time having tough conversations. But then if you kind of look at the the policy and practices and procedure side of things, 
well, you know, maybe you call somebody out on something or you sit down to, to have a disciplinary conversation, but you in a supervisor role don't actually have any authority or any sort of mechanism to do any real discipline. So it's pointless to have that conversation. So these are the kinds like of middlemen. Right. Yeah. Right. So these are some of these kind of systemic dynamics that we want to uncover. Yeah. And to be clear there, the, our accountability process is guided by law. Yeah. Right. There, well, has so to be, right? There is some legal reasons why we do things. And th those are super hard to change. Not to say that we shouldn't be asking for it, not to say that we shouldn't be looking at it and getting curious about why it is the way it is. Absolutely. But we need a clear picture. We do need a clear picture. Yeah. Understanding those perceptions of what people are seeing on the ground mm -hmm. and how it's actually perceived which is going to vary region to region, crew to crew, person to person, right? I think that's important. That's an important picture to paint to get these changes that we need. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah, it's crazy, man. It, you have your work cut out for you because <laughs> this is a huge project and you've said you've been working on it for quite a considerable amount of time here. So, yeah. um, so speaking of the questions here, mm -hmm. Let's get into some of these questions. I'm looking at the deep dive website right here Right. for the folks looking on YouTube. This is the deep dive website. So you started off at question one and I am very biased to this question. I think that we'll start with the question. Question one, in the last 10 years, do you think gender has made a difference in how people are treated at work? And I will say 100% unequivocally that yes, women are unfairly 98% of the time treated differently, not poorly necessarily, but differently than their male peers. And importantly, the question in the last 10 years, how do you think? Not do you think? How do you how think? How do you think? Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. we, we needed to be open-ended. Yeah. So that was, the, that was we wanted people's <laughs> response. So, so correction, yeah. How? How do you so think? You're, that's, that's, and so what we heard and, and um, uh, uh, we heard a diversity of thought. Mm -hmm. We heard uh, and Jody, you can speak to this, but we heard that gender does make a difference. We heard that the gender does not make a difference, that gender equity and awareness is improving. We heard a lot of what, what we had talked about earlier mm -hmm. it used to be just shut up and dig. And now it's getting better. And I think there's nothing to say that it isn't, but we're not, we haven't arrived anywhere. No. Right? You know, that's the, the trans that's departed the station. Yeah. It's important to, to make that distinction. Not arrived. <laughs> but I, absolutely. I want, I let's, let's honor the, 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 what people have said. Yes. We, yeah. We're, 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 we're moving, we're moving in a direction uh, and that we're inclusive, but not for, not for the right reasons. And that's getting back to, I think, to that bureaucratic piece where there's checking a, a box, right? We're checking a box. Well, if you look at our trainings that we have, no one wants to sit on USA training or whatever the website's called now. I mean, HR and all these things. I mean, just, you just check in a box a lot of times. And what is 90% of these firefighters do every year in their diversity and inclusion training? Yeah. Just clicking the mouse as fast as they can to get through it. Right. But what is really something that's beneficial that we can learn? How do we, how do we change to make more awareness to this? I mean, do you guys brush upon that? Do you guys get any feedback from that? So th this is, uh, this is more of the arena in the, in another project that I'm working on, which is safety cubed, which is a project where we, unapologetically stole the idea of a brief morning routine every day 
that you would talk about some form of safety. Some people may know it at six minutes for safety. We <laughs> never heard of it. We, we, <laughs> we, without any shame, borrowed that idea completely and said, let's do safety cubed. Mm-hmm. I was going to do five minutes for safety just cause you know, why six? Yeah. Why six? Right. No, but we did safety cube because we wanted to talk about psychological, social, and physical safety and how those things are tied together. The, in the, the, the core principle or core philosophy behind why I believe in that project is that we need to have, we need to learn about this stuff. We yeah. need to have the tools to help us understand it, start normalizing conversations about uh, psychological safety, about mental health awareness, about how gender influences, how people are treated at work. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's have little three minute bite conversations where we're just bringing up the idea so we can have those aha moments where we can talk about something that we haven't talked about before. And then middle of the day, someone's like, what that, see that interaction right there. You treated that person different than this other person. Not um, it just is again, biases or biases. We all have them, but see, that's that thing. If we can start putting names to this stuff, if we can start normalizing conversations, the, the, leadership for this kind of change happens with leadership. The engine for change happens with the thousands of decisions that the thousands of employees who are out there digging line, immersed in this stuff every day. They are the engine for change. Leadership needs to point the direction. The engine are the people who are living it. Yeah. We, we, we do the best service for them by providing the tools they need to have control over that culture rather than being passive bystanders. Do we want to have, do we want to have, uh, an ability to affect the direction or do we want to passively sit back and say, Oh, well, there it is now, you know, remember that pendulum I was talking about? Yeah. Do we want to have some sort of control about it? Will we better learn how to talk about it in a way that doesn't immediately divide us, but in a way that gets again to that complexity. We're not calling it all good, all bad. We're just understanding it. And that is where, where we, those tools enable us to engage that engine. Yeah. No, I think it's uh, also the awareness thing too. And yeah, like you're saying, a crew is made by its crew members, not the leadership, not the fire and not in the, any individual. It's a very team uh, effort, right? Yeah. So it's going to take a large amount of people to move that engine because this is a very large ship to steer right culture (laughs) is an emergent property which means that no one individual it is more than the sum of its parts no one individual has control over what it is or where it goes Mm -hmm. leadership has an important role but everyone who's a part of it has a role too yeah you can be an active participant in all of this you bet yeah yeah Yeah, and i think too it just uh, helping people understand and become more aware it's I think the challenge really is getting past that threatening piece of it. So I think it comes down to, to really having uh, some sensitivity to your personal relationships with, with people, you know, and we should be able to, to, I I don't want to say call people out in like a negative way, but call attention to uh, dysfunctional behaviors just the same way we would if, if somebody had spinach in their teeth. Yeah. Like, oh, hey, you got spinach in your teeth. Oh, oh, shoot. Oops. Didn't know. But but it seems like right now it's a wall between people. It just puts a wall between people and it further alienates them, yep. uh, makes them an anemone up 
Anemone up. And like we have, there's a safety cube called uh, calling in versus calling out. And it's just a little tool. Like in that sort of situation, how do you word it so that you're bringing them in instead of calling them out and standing up on your values and being the wokest of the woke in the crew? Be like, see what you did there? Oh, you know, look, I'm the woke person. You know, that value signaling here. Yeah. How do you turn that around instead and and invite them into, oh, right. And don't do it because we want to be nice to people. That's the wrong way. Do it because it's going to improve how we do business and potentially be safer in what we do. Yeah. Or even bring stronger bonds to the crew dynamic. I mean, yeah. I mean, the whole thing too. It reminds me of a time, speaking of the women in fire and this, these little things that we don't think about that we have these. I, I guess unconscious biases. One time I was on a crew, it was a Phil crew and we had a woman firefighter on there. One of the most badass fire women I've ever met. And, uh, she had a, not the chainsaw. She, she was on the saw team, but she had the, uh, the combi with the, the Dolmar on the back. Right. And someone offered to take it up the hill for her. She came unglued. She was so offended because another person asked her if they can take the Dolmar up the hill, but it's like those little things. And I think, I guess what I'm getting at is we we're not aware of this stuff that it could have come from pure intentions, but since it was a guy asking to take that off of her shoulder, she took a great offense to that. She thought it was like, Oh yeah, what you're going to show me up. You're going to take my shit up the hill for me. Cool. She didn't want any part of so that. So did that, did that instance, how it played out, did that improve relationships or degrade relationships? Oh, absolutely degraded them like that. So I think that's the difference. If we can find ways, if we knew we had a chivalrous guy who was like, I see this person who I I could help them in Mm -hmm. a moment here. And a, and a female who may, may not have felt that like, I'm on the edge here. This is my chance to show everyone else that I can do it because I've just because of how I show up in this culture, I have to, I have to take a a bit, a bigger step than everyone else. Go take more necessary kind of, whether it's, whether it's actual or perceived, it doesn't matter. That's that, that may have been a perception and it may have been the perception of the guy who was like, I'm just being nice. Cause this is how I was raised. My mother would, my father and my, you know, my family would tell me this is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And that interaction Degraded relationships cause a lot of conflict. My hope is that the deep dive project safety cubed all this leaning into this and normalizing conversations that we provide the tools so that can be an, that can improve crew relations rather than degrade relationships. Well, I think the unrealized uh, benefit to a lot of folks, because on that crew, I mean, we were getting our asses kicked. Don't get, a, get me wrong. I mean, we were all getting our asses kicked. And I think that the uh, intentions were pure and they're just trying to share the load, so to speak. But the perceptions of them was the opposite, right? They're trying to, oh yeah, show up this girl or like, oh, you're perceiving me as weak, right? However, for the people that are aware of the situation, it brought more awareness. And that's another tool in your toolbox was like, huh. I never thought of it that way. I never thought that she would take that or perceive it like that. It's one of those things that I guess, I guess that was the value for people that watch this whole 
whole thing go down. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's a lesson learned. And so how do we take those lessons learned and apply them? Right. When I first came into here, this job, it was to, to learn from harassment and discrimination cases. I was trying to do a learning review on a harassment and discrimination case. And mm-hmm. it didn't work because there's all sorts of legal and ethical reasons why that's not a great idea. But that whole understanding is what if we took a look at these situations, these subclinical, this, the, the ones that never are gonna make it to, to, to a claim. These instances that involve gender, that involve your role and your place in the culture, and power dynamics and all that, that involved that stuff. What if we were able to um, apply the same metric or the, sorry, the same philosophy that we do for learning reviews and FLAs and ask the question, why did decisions and actions make sense to the people at the time? So why did it make sense for her to react that way? Why did it make sense for that guy to say those things and then have the conversation from there? Now we've just, now we've built relationships rather than degraded them. And we've made the collective more skilled in this. And now when we're out on the fire line, we can apply it as we're standing around the next figurative tree, deciding what to do. Someone can call it out and be, and say, are we just doing the, the uh, Coriolis thing here or whatever it is? Are we just doing that? Or are we, Actually, is this a good idea? Yeah. So whatever it is, it, and and gender is part of it, and gender and gendered concepts, and and uh, how I show up and how my leadership shows up, and all of that stuff, it's all in there. Um, the more that we can learn from it and and build uh, awareness of it and ways to talk about it, it's just an untapped thing. Like all of a sudden, we're gonna figure out why we always keep doing the same things all the time when we say we want to do different things. That's another one too. And you've probably seen this a lot in your research is like, we've been doing this the same way for X amount of years. I mean, if you even look at firefighting in general, I mean, aside from a, a a few like not very macro things in general um, or micro things in a macro macro sense, large sense of fighting fire, we've always done it the same way for what, 140 years or something like that. since the dawn of the forest service. It's like, what are we doing here? Nothing's changed. So how do we change it? Which you're onto. Right. Yeah. 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 And I, I love, I love that idea. I just, I'm just imagining how much capacity for vulnerability would be required for all parties involved. Ooh. Can you imagine? Ooh. There's a big one. Vulnerability, big word. Mm -hmm. It, how we, we're asking again, why this is so difficult is we're asking people to be vulnerable. So, uh, when I, uh, so great example, uh, when we started this, um, researcher from British Columbia, uh, Rachel Reimer was, um, she, she said, we should, we should be using pronouns when we introduce ourselves. And I didn't do it in this. I should have. My pronouns are he, him. It makes people super uncomfortable. It made me uncomfortable. It makes other people uncomfortable. But what I found in some really important key meetings is we got feedback that people all throughout the spectrum of wildland fire culture thanked us for doing it. Is normally they felt unseen. Mm-hmm. And so that it's still a question. This is an unresolved question for me. It still is like a boy that it's, 
it's vulnerable for me to to keep putting that in my address line. It's vulnerable for me to keep introducing myself like that. Even though I'm saying like, hi, I show up as a dude and I be and I present as a dude and I and that's how I see myself, right? Mm-hmm. But that how do we help others be in that space? Because it is super uncomfortable and and it is by embracing that and and not shying away from it that that helps us provide that space for change and and you don't have it's not solved it's not solved for me but kind of stepping out there and trying and being uncomfortable for a little bit uh, maybe and if you don't like it don't like it fine you know mm-hmm. but i it's just been it's been a journey for me and that and stepping into that vulnerable space it's a i i do not uh, I, I don't want to understate that is, it's a big hurdle. We're asking a lot from people. Oh yeah. I mean, the vulnerability thing too, especially with this culture of, uh, you know, the A type, the professional problem solver. I mean, vulnerability is kind of one of those things that could either harm or help mm. your situation and vulnerability to ask of a culture like ours. Mm-hmm. It's a real tall ask. We still do it. We've always done it. We still do it today. We are getting better at it. But even as something as simple as just attempting something that makes you uncomfortable, like using your pronouns, right? That's a step. That's yeah. a step. Try it out. Yeah. Be comfortable being uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's so important. It just, it opens the door for people who don't want to have to come out and say their pronouns mm-hmm. um, or clarify their pronouns. So if you say it first that gives them the chance to say, okay, cool. I'm going to do that here. We're here. We're here. Yeah. And I belong here too. And, and for, you know, for so many of us, for for me, it's, I've never had to think about it. And so putting myself in the position of like, Oh, what does it feel like for that person who shows up and everyone's like, Oh, is that a guy? Like it's a fluid thing. And if, Mm -hmm. if they go through life, with that question hanging over them all the time, or they present as one way, but they darn feel like another and they want to be seen as that. To be seen and not singled out. Yeah. I think yeah. that's the important. That's one. a yeah. great way yeah. to put it. Mm-hmm. If, yeah. if you had just provided that thought, I would have starred that five, <laughs> five stars. See, that's a five star response. Yeah. And that's the thing too. I think that's like in general overall of like all of American culture. I mean, I, I'm, I'm the worst at it. I call everybody dude or bro or Hey man, what's up? You know, I'm, yeah. just, I'm just that person, but I mean, I don't know, maybe uh, try it. Yeah. Uh, might change perceptions. Yeah. And it's not, it's another thing too. It's like, I'm not trying to offend anybody. I've got plenty of gay friends. I've got plenty of hetero straight male friends, whatever I, the gambit, right. I've got trans friends and I'm not trying to offend them or anything like that. It's just, I, I, maybe it's like an, a cognitive, not bias, but blind spot, mm. more yeah. of a blind spot. It's a norm. We, yeah. Our norm is to not do it. Our norm is to assume that everyone is cisgender, which means the, what you see is what you get. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's our norm. So to, to, uh, to help people who aren't, don't fit that norm be seen is a thing. On that same token, this needs to be met with an equal amount of grace. Yeah. I'm going to botch it. I didn't introduce myself with my pronouns this time. Like, Nor did they, I. Right. So, I didn't set the exam, all that sort of stuff. Like we need to have grace both for ourselves 
and for others. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't work without grace. This, this doesn't work without, and that's where that calling in versus calling out. It's the, I believe your intent is genuine. Here's how I saw that. This is how it landed. How do we, let's, let's talk through this, right? Yeah. That's the difference. And, and it's unfair to ask people to do that without also giving them the tools to do it. Because they're not tools that we have at our disposal. This is not listed in the 10 and 18. No. Right. And so it's unfair to have people talk about the 10 and 18 without listing those things. It's unfair to assume people know how to talk about this stuff without also giving them the uh, 10 and 18 equivalent or, or some way to, 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 to frame it. Just like you did the five-star, whatever. The five-star review. How you said that, right. <laughs> That it so from the leadership perspective, it's unfair for them to say you need to change and be more inclusive, more diverse, more equitable without also providing the tools. Yeah, that not being offended if someone corrects you too. I mean, yeah. taking the ego out of the equation, it's yeah, hard. It's and that's real vulnerable. Hard. That's that being vulnerable. vulnerable, though. It yeah. is. It is absolutely yeah. being vulnerable. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, it's crazy. And it's like, where do we go from here? Because this isn't like one of those things that's going to be a problem that's solved overnight nowhere. This is going to take years and years and years of studying. I mean, and this, this study that you're doing with the deep dive, both of your projects here, which I'm sure there's a lot more people working on this as well. A lot of these concepts that we're talking about can be just applied to general population as well. Oh yeah. I mean, this could be translated into small business, large business, fortune 500 day to day, your husband and wife, your partnerships. It could be applied to a lot of places, right? You bet. Yeah. Yeah. It just so happens that wildland fire culture is a lot of these things turned up to 11. hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's, it's almost easier to look at because it's turned up to 11. Yeah. Military too. I mean, there's another one. You bet. Yeah. Cause a lot of those, I mean, there's no secret that we derive a lot of our SOPs directly from the military. Right. That's kind of where we took our concepts and formed them into wildland specific stuff. What about, yeah. So many of our staff rides. Yeah. Military staff rides. Military staff rides. Yeah. And so the question isn't, are they bad? The question is, are there other ways of approaching leadership and approaching learning and approaching wildland firefighting? Mm-hmm. That are not that, that are not based in that. Yeah. And, and so it's the sort of cultural vulnerability to allow those things space to innovate. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's such a good point. And, and, you know, going back to the beginning of, of fire, the military was provided so much tech transfer. Like if you just read Stephen Pine's book or books, um, you know, we've got the equipment, we've got the structure, we've got the leadership training and all of that. But what I think is really important to recognize at this moment in time, you know, a hundred or so years into fire is there are a lot of really experienced wildland fire folks, and there's a lot of wisdom in wildland fire. What, what could wildland fire do if it just did its own thing or, I mean, not to, not to just throw everything out, of course, but you know, there's a, there's a lot of gold to mine in here and, and we're, we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot. I, I say we, like I'm still in it, but, <laughs> but I think the agency you still got one foot in the black. <laughs> I got one foot in the black. Uh, yeah. I, I feel like the agency is, is missing an opportunity to really cap- capitalize on the knowledge and in doing so respect that knowledge and respect the people who've put their life 
into, into this work. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look at this rich pedigree of history and stories and almost like, it's almost like folklore, mysticism, and like actual true events, like the whole story of wild and fire of where we were to where we are today. A lot of those things are very tribal and where does it go? I mean, how do we expand on those things and how do we apply this to a better future for us? Exactly. There's a lot of things, man. I mean, it's, 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 I guess it's no different concept of like, we're talking about leadership training. I mean, look at what, uh, Jocko Wilnick did with his experience in the military and then translating it into white collar industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he had wild success there. Like where is our, I guess, where's our glide path? Like we're at an sure. opportune moment, like you were saying to really change the outcome of not only our agency or what we're doing, but the whole picture in general. So here's, here's what I see. Uh, we're at, uh, an unfreezing moment, mm-hmm. right. With all of the pay and, 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 um, uh, mental health and well being and all of the work that's being done there. Yeah. That has sort of, enabled change to be possible, right? We have inside the agencies at congressional levels all over the place, asking questions and saying, what would a different something look like with different series or pay structures or a mental health and well-being package, whatever it is we have, let's take an, let's take advantage of that opportunity, that sort of paradigm shiftable moment where we can actually where things are fluid enough that we can actually explore other ways of doing business. Yeah. And I don't know where we're going to land. So I think it's, it's a great opportunity to take advantage of this unfreezing moment mm-hmm. right? that, that we see for the first time that people are considering things that would have been, they wouldn't have considered before. Yeah. It's that whole cultural shift, right? Right. Yeah. And, and some of it's bureaucratic, some of it's system, some of it's policy. But there's an element there that hopefully through this project that we can develop some pilots so, and, and they're going to be pilots. You know, in the last question, when we asked what what are the action steps that you see that we we should be taking in order to get to our desired future state? Those projects that are going to come out of that, those those uh, action steps, they're going to be pilots. We're going to try it out. We're going to see what works, see what doesn't and, and be in that mode of learning, right. Yeah. Where we evaluate and we try again. Uh, and it's, it's an iterative process. It's going to be evolving, but to me, a focus on this helps us go from passive bystanders, watching culture move along to active participants in where we want to see our futures be. And the, the way we make that happen is becoming aware of giving voice to that stuff that influences our decisions and actions. It's, it's below the surface and bring it up to talk about. Yeah. And another piece of that too is, I mean, I hate to say the C word, but COVID, <laughs> I think part of the unfreezing moment is, is COVID opened uh, up. That C word. So okay. yeah, that C word. <laughs> I thought you were going to say custard. No, no, the, the, the five letter one. Got it. COVID. Yeah. COVID, COVID really opened up the, the door to the need for change in so many aspects yes. of, of the agency as a whole, but especially in fire. And so I think with, with that 
with that event still going on, of course, but really fresh in our memories, I think there's a compelling opportunity to make some of these changes that, that might benefit the workforce. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's like the silver linings of COVID. I think the things that we take for granted, it's like the implementation of the internet of things, like being able to use zoom to get into work. Right. That's a huge thing. Maybe not for us because we're very, very much a tactile sport, <laughs> but it's those things that we kind of oftentimes taste it for granted. But I think the biggest benefit that COVID had on our culture, our agencies, our operations is it was a, almost like a reset. It was almost like a pause, like pumping the brakes. And now that, that unfreezing that's happening, I think the opportunities are abound. And now if we were to implement of what implement what you guys are doing here with deep dive into a greater picture to understand why we make the decisions that we do. We can translate these not only down to the individual like benefit, but also an operational benefit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm just going to pile on with the call to action here. (laughs) The more participation we get in this project, the better understanding we're going to get of what that landscape is, what changes need to be made. And it's honestly going to help us put words to what's going on in the culture, what these assumptions are and where, where we need to make change. Yeah. And what we've gotten so far is most of our responses are desk sitters. Really? Right. So we need operational folks. Right. Yeah, we do. So okay. that's why Jody and I are here is so that we can go out to fires and get, we have little magnets we're going to be handing out with QR codes so that we can get the voices of the people who are living this stuff every day, mm-hmm. have their voices heard. That is the only reason we are out here. If I was comfortable with just having the the people who hang out at their desks answer this question, I wouldn't be going through all this. Yeah. It is so vital to have those who are living it to be, to, to have their voice in it. That's, that's why we're here. Yeah. Ten, 10 or fewer seasons, five or fewer seasons. We want to hear from you. Doesn't matter. But is that your mostly missing demographic as yes. far as firefighters? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's another thing too, man. And I had this big conversation when I was talking with uh, booze the last time he was on the show, right. About grassroots and people's unwillingness to get involved. If you don't get involved, if you don't want to be involved with that whole process and you don't do anything, you just expect people like above you to do the work for you. That's a cop out. That is a cop out. You have a direct line to being some of the tools to change, right? You bet. It's no different than grassroots, but we need those operational folks. And that's another thing too. That's that whole big C thing. Mm-hmm. I find that myself, I, I guess I'm, I find myself making the assumption because I was this person that I didn't want to go out of my way to do surveys. I didn't want to do exit interviews. I didn't want to do all this like BS what I perceived as BS administrative stuff when it actually can benefit you in the long run. And this is, this is different. And we tried to make it different yeah. in that you're providing your open-ended response. These are your words. Mm-hmm. Number one, number two, it takes about five minutes and then you're done. Number yeah. three is you can spend 20 minutes rating other people's thoughts who doesn't like to judge people's thought? You can just scroll and do one. There's that human stars, factor of right? judgment. <laughs> just who doesn't love that? Just spend yeah. all day doing that. 
the more you the more you judge other people's thoughts, the better quality data that we have. Um, and we desperately need that one off. Oh, that's what that's what I've been feeling. Those that nugget those, of gold. That nugget. Yeah. Yeah. They're out there. And and I I beat this one pretty hard already, but the engine for change are those people who are living it. And yeah. I would also want to add on to that 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 look, we all know that there is an element of cynicism in any bureaucracy. I mean, I'm well removed the, of fire and I'm still a cynic. <laughs> yeah. The University of Colorado, uh, there's plenty of cynicism there that, mm-hmm. you know, my my voice or my input on whatever matter it is, isn't going to make a difference at all. But we are listening and it it does make a difference. And leadership is listening. And they're listening. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another thing too, I want to bring up too, is, uh, if only people that are the desks, the desk writers of this industry are filling out these things, well, you're the one, they're typically the ones who are influencing decisions for you. Now, if you don't have any input in your side of the story, well, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause their decision-making and what they say are going to directly affect you. Yeah. So if you get off your ass and just do this, just do it. (laughs) It takes five minutes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, and the, when I've been out to the Washburn moose, the Hermit Peak, Calf Canyon, Blackfire, some others. When we go out to the, and, and hand out the magnets and, and, and give this, you know, blurb to the, to the folks out there, mm-hmm. man, like, oh, great. You know, you get people who are like, whatever, you know. Yeah. But you have those people who who just, they thank you for ensuring, coming all the way out here to make sure our voice is heard. That's all we're doing. That's why taking two weeks to do this. Yeah. And it's not like one of those witch hunt things. So I, I'm, I'm kind of curious if we can inspire by this episode, the uh, whatever folks out there. That's what we need because yeah. they're going to be the most underrepresented, right? Yes. So for those, <laughs> oh, whatever, those folks out there, I know who you are because I'm probably one of them yeah. or was one of them at one point in my fire career. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Do it. Just, it takes, like you said, five minutes. Yeah. Five so, minutes. so far, so far the, I think 10 or fewer years of fire uh, is less than 25% of our data. Oh, wow. Data set on any given thought exchange. I could have that wrong, but that's what stands out. Usually hovers about 25% uh, for each of the exchanges. Yeah. We'd hmm. like to bump that up. Especially for these last two. What's your desired future state? What are the action steps we need to take to get there? Yeah. Cause you, I mean, these previous questions are locked out. You can't have additional data on that, but the stuff that matters, if they were to go through the back questions and see what other people's responses are. And the other thing that you can do is you can go through those back questions. The reason we put this out here is we put out the most prominent thoughts. We put out the top rank thoughts. We put out the themes, you know, our research team, which Jody is leading, Mm -hmm. they're going through and putting these, you know, hundreds and hundreds of themes into buckets and theming them, you know, big groups. And, and so that's what these represent. These represent not all the data, but, but the data sort of condensed. So you, you know, in a page or two, you can read it. Um, go back and look at those first three thought, first three 
thought exchanges. Yeah. And if you have a comment about one of those, throw it in. Just, hey, question four or question three said this. This is what I think and make it generally reference something about your desired future state. Whatever it is that you want to put in there, put it in there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We we're, the- we're reading and sorting every single thought that comes in. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it's valuable. Even if it's post data, right? It is. Or post, right. post, what would that would be the technical term? Post hoc. Post hoc. Yeah. I don't know. You're the professional here. So I don't know. Yeah, I pretend gonna, I'm not even going to pretend like I know what I'm talking about. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so as far as the future of this project now, I'm pretty sure this isn't going to be the only deep dive kind of format, if you will. I'm pretty sure there's going to be new deep dive things. This is like an ongoing continuous thing from my understanding, right? We're going to try. There's yeah. going to be the focus groups this fall and winter. There's going to be proposed action steps that we're going to try and implement next year. Mm-hmm. So it will, we'll pick the ones through those focus groups that are going to make the most uh, sense to implement, to try to pilot implementation next year. Mm-hmm. We're probably going to have some feedback about those. So this exchange of information, right? The reason we put the questions out and then provided those reflections is to have this conversation back and forth. Yeah. It's not about us going to the field and asking for their input. It's doing that plus providing back to them, reflecting back to them, having this conversation. This is what you told us. Okay, now there's going to be focus groups. We're going to we're going to sort of coalesce around some ideas. Okay, here's the here's the pilot projects we're going to go. What do you think about that? Whether it's focus groups or using this thought exchange tool again. All right, are we Moving in the right direction, not moving in the right direction. Again, anytime we can increase people talking about this, normalize conversations, provide tools, and then get that conversation between the leaders who should be leading change and the folks who are living it, who are the engine of that change. Anytime we can get that conversation going, that's what we should be doing. That is more important than any pilot project is that conversation back and forth. Okay. Let me... Let me, I guess, ask in a different way. Um, So this is going to be, is this like an ongoing continuous project? Like, are you going to have a different sample set of questions in the future? Or can you talk about that? It is not. No, not like this. Not like this. No, but there there will be the the future. the, The future questions will be around. I think as, as I have imagined this, and then we as a team have imagined this is that the, the future questions will be, how are we doing what's working? What isn't? So we, in response to this, we did this, is this working or what do you see needs to be doing? We need to be doing in this arena next or yeah. Fine tuning and be like, that didn't work at all. We need to throw it out and try this instead. Gotcha. Okay. Hmm. I like it. I want to see where this goes. See the the end result. Granted, it's going to take a long time, but I don't think there's again. This is the journey. This is where just like we're never going to zero fatality. We're never going to get to this perfect uh, organization where there's no harassment and no externalizing mental health crises or mental health at all. We're always going to be working in that direction. Yeah. So it isn't. We're not. We're working towards a direction. We're not working towards an end goal. And and the other thing I want to clarify too is, is the research side of things is like research outputs for this are definitely a secondary 
priority. The, the top priority for this project is, is change. Yeah. So we, we want to find actionable changes. Hmm. I have a curious curiosity question and it all based off, I guess it all boils down to that pendulum you're talking about. Do you think that the responses are going to change, say in 10 years, are they going to swing back the other way? Cause I mean, it's cultural shift. It's a yes. dynamic thing. So are things going to go back and forth continuously? Yes. Yes, you do. I uh, look back 10 years. True. Yeah. I think, I think anytime you have generations of, of people turning over in an organization, you're going to see that you're going to see the shifts. The other thing too, though, is that change tends to be pretty slow. I mean, oh, yeah. some of the things we see popping up in the, in the data, like if you look at, if you look back at uh, gender in organization type of studies from the seventies, I mean, you see kind of the same dynamics. So even though, even though theory on, on gender and, and work and all that kind of stuff has, has gotten really nuanced and complex, uh, the fundamental dynamics that people live are, you know, they're pretty stable across time. Yeah. I mean, not to, not to say that we can't make changes, but there aren't many, there aren't many projects out there that seek to look so deeply and in such a nuanced way into the the landscape of the culture and the mechanisms that are playing out uh, in a way that is geared toward change specifically. Hmm. No, it's interesting. And it's like I said earlier, it's a very tall order. I, yeah. I can't imagine the data, the amount of data that you're buried in, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I don't know. You, you, uh, Matt, you hit me up with this whole concept. What, I don't know, eight months ago when you started going yeah. live or so. Yeah. And yeah, I, I believe in it. I think this is a good thing. And it's, a, I think it's a good tool for not only one bringing awareness, but understanding as well. That's, that's, that's the, the, the first step. And it's, and it's understanding beyond binary, beyond good, bad, the black and whites. It is into stepping into that uncertainty, stepping into complexity and, and being okay with, this thought way over here, this thought way over here. Okay. Well, cool. And now as far as getting people involved, where do they go to find this? Cause I know you're on social media, right? So social media, we're yeah. on deep dive in the, the number two WLF wildland fire culture. That's Twitter and Instagram. Okay. Uh, that's where we're at mostly copy that. And then if they want to take surveys, so the, the, uh, it's linked in the bio for Instagram and it's in most of the chats for uh, or most of the tweets for the Twitter account. Um, it's uh, if you Google deep dive into wildland fire culture, it's the one that comes up. It's a forest service external facing share or external facing page. That way you don't have to be VPN or anything to get in. You can do it on your phone. Um, we are going around handing out um uh, QR codes, uh, and on most of our promotional material, there's QR codes. Um, but that's how you get there. Uh, right on that homepage, it says click here to participate. That link stays the same. That page stays the same. And then we switch the questions behind the link. So you're always going to be responding to the most up-to-date one. The most relevant. Yeah. And, uh, participate often participate, uh, provide lots and lots of thoughts if you, if you want. 
Um, a lot of people ask, oh, well, you know, I'm doing logistics or I'm in finance. If you charge your time to a P code or if you're a contractor on a fire, we want to hear from you. We want, we want everyone to be a part of this. I'd really like to hear the contractor side because I talk about a lot of misconceptions and preconceived notions. Yeah. What's the commonality on every fire? Oh, contractors, you know? Yeah. So, and so we have a lot of built in, there's a lot of built in, um, uh, assumptions and culture and, and just cultural differences between federal agency and non-federal agency. Oh, so yeah. it's all there and municipal, yeah. all that stuff. And yeah. we can, uh, again, we can turn our heads and pretend it doesn't exist or try to bring it to the surface so that, so that we have a chance to have some ownership of it and, and, and direction. Oh yeah. They're all doing the same job. Yeah. They all have a foot in the black. Yeah should probably treat each other as such, but it goes back to that old adage. Who's the best crew out there? Who's the best hotshot crew out there? Well, if that answer isn't the one that you're currently on, you probably need to move to a different one. Right. So as far as the future for you guys personally, what are you going to be working on in the future here? Jody? Well, um, mainly this project for a while. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably the big thing. Yeah. This is yeah. going to be a it's, it's, but. it's a long project, a lot of, a lot of work, but, um, but really worth it. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Same with you. Ev. So I'm, I'm right now I'm embedded with the work environment performance office. So I yeah. work for IOL, but I'm embedded with WIPO. Um, I'm going to be moving back to IOL, but I will be involved with this project, with this project. Um, uh, our job in IOL and my job as an ambassador is to try and bring uh, tools, practices, philosophies in organizational learning. How do we do the thing that everyone talks about is, is how do we learn as an organization individually, crew level, all the way up to the organization. So I'm going to be doing that. Uh, I can't believe I get to do it. It's an amazing job. It's insanely challenging. Um, but always, always interesting. And, and I hope that I can be doing it for many years to come. So that's what I'll be doing. Nice. And then where can we find you on the old Instagram socials, anything like that? Any contact information? Oh, you know, I, you know, I don't really do much public facing okay. at this point, but yeah. I totally respect that. Yeah. There's, some, there's, there's been a few people on the show that just like, don't want to give out their like socials or anything like that. And I totally understand. There was one person that gave out their phone number on one of my episodes and they had to change their numbers. <laughs> totally get it. Right. Well, my email is at the bottom of the deep dive page there. Um, and uh, our socials are uh, deep dive into wildland fire. Uh, so feel free to reach out uh, with the email on the bottom of that page. Um, obviously, I'd, I'm always interested to talk about this. Mm -hmm. So cool. Yeah. And then. Towards the end of the show, I always give the opportunity to give you the opportunity to give some shout outs to some homies, heroes, mentors. Who do you got for us? I have to think about that for a sec. Pop quiz, hot shot. Yeah, boy. <laughs> where do I begin? Like, where do you begin? God, that's always one. So, yeah. you know, my Tony Angle and Kurt Ranta first soup and, and uh, assistant soup for Baker River. They gave me the opportunity uh, they, uh, showed me the, you know, that a kid from New Jersey didn't have to prove himself every day, uh, that 
that once I was there, uh, I, I was part of it. Right. Yeah. And, and we went into that. Uh, the bros at McCall, uh, I learned so much, uh, from that base and, and from that organization. Um, and, uh, they, they were always there to support me when I was doing awesome and they were definitely there to support me when I was <laughs> struggling and by support, I meant giving me the trophy for the worst spotter and to, to make sure that they could point out that I was just abysmal and they, it, I, I, I was, uh, so just that honesty, uh, and all the men and women who I've worked with over the years that have, been open and honest and, and have wrestled with this, uh, the folks at IOL, I've gotten incredible support. This has not been an easy job for me. We've had some real rough spots and their support has been critical for this. Yeah. Thanks. Gosh. Yeah. Okay. So, so thanks for giving me a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, fire has always been a community that has, has been so it's just been such a welcoming place. And I've, I found, I just have felt that, that fire has always rolled out the red carpet for me. I mean, working on the payette, working on price Valley, I just had such amazing friends and colleagues, uh, Esther Godson, John Benfati, Todd Peterson, Seth Weber, so many others. Um, and, uh, on the research side, I mean, joint fire science program, RMRS, like there's just been so much support over the years. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been pretty amazing. Nice. I'll give a final shout out to PFTC team three. They know who they are. <laughs> it's the secret group. <laughs> well, uh, I just want to say thank you for being on the show today and kind of expanding on the topic of deep dive into wildland fire, your project that you guys are working on. Um, I know that there's probably a lot of misconceptions out there of what this is trying to get to the root of. And I think that this discussion here is going to get into those, getting rid of those preconceived notions of what this is all about. So I definitely want to thank both of you and yeah, I can't wait to see a lot of your research. This is, this is cool. I, I dig it. Thank you so much. This yeah, has given you. us an incredible opportunity to, to get it out there and get a lot of those things, uh, dispelled. Yeah. That's the whole idea. Yeah. Talk about, it's that whole like complexity and nuance thing. Having a long discussion about it kind of alleviates a lot of that provides a lot of context too. So yeah. And like and it. your platform has been pivotal for that. So we really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. So, well guys, thank you so much for being on the show. See you on the next one. And boom, there we go. Ladies and gentlemen, another episode of the anchor point podcast is in the books with my good friend, Jody, John and Matt Carroll. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what the results are to this whole survey. And uh, yeah, take your time to uh, go over to that website. There's going to be some links in the show notes to uh, fill out some of these surveys and answer some of these questions that they want to learn about. Cool thing is, is you can speak your mind truly freely at liberty to say whatever you want. Uh, be honest. Don't be a contrarian. Don't be an asshole on purpose. Give them, uh, you know, some, something constructive and valid. If you just go in there and bitch, well, that's kind of useless data, but anyways, uh, it's cool. It's, it's anonymized. Uh, yeah, you can go in there and rate other people's responses. It's pretty cool. And I'm looking forward to what all this data says about our culture and the whole port 
the whole purpose behind this study is to uh, understand the reasons why we make the decisions we do on the ground and how our culture influences those human factors. So it's pretty cool. Awesome work. Looking forward to it. As for the rest of you, I hope everybody's doing well and hope everybody's gearing up for the off season. It looks like we're on the glide path downward to uh, winter time. So I hope you uh, have a plan in place and I hope you uh, take that wind down seriously. And yeah, like I said, having a plan is really good. And it's been said by doctors and therapists and all sorts of other people, even hotshot superintendents on this show. So keep that in mind. Take a little bit of advice from your peers in the field and the professionals in the field. Uh, yeah, other than that, hope everybody's doing well. Apologies for the, uh, the vocals. <laughs> I'm definitely very sick and this was pre-recorded uh, last week. So anyways, hope everybody's doing well. Special shout out to our sponsors. We got Mystery Ranch. <clears throat> uh, Mystery Ranch, they make the finest packs in the damn wildland firefighting game. So go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out the Backbone series where you have an opportunity to win one of those thousand dollar scholarships. Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. We also have Hotshot Brewery. It's kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause. And a portion of the proceeds will always go back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. Go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check out all they have to offer. We've got, not really a sponsor, but just a good buddy of mine. we got the Ass Movement, purveyors of the finest in poo-bearing propaganda. If you want to help spread the word about burying your turds, well, go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the Ass Movement. And last but not least, we have... Bethany over there at the Smoky Generation. Now, they are not a sponsor of the show. Uh, I have won one of their awards, but I donated that uh, grant back to the foundation so somebody else can have an opportunity to win uh, one of those grants as well. But I definitely appreciate what she's doing over there. And she has a kick-ass organization that's preserving the legacy of a lot of the wildland firefighters across the globe. So go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check it out. Bethany, you have a kick-ass organization. Keep it up. Y'all know the drill. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Stay savage. Peace.